Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we're doing this time round, it's another Warhammer episode. Because yes, I periodically do those as I am a fan of the game miniatures, etc. Now, I've done loads and loads of these before. These have been going on for probably three years, if you periodically hear them. If you're not a fan of Warhammer, trust me, this is going to go to something more interesting because not only am I going to talk a little bit about behind the scenes of the company, which I've managed to pick up, but also what we're talking about this time around is specifically a new game called Legions Imperialis, which is sort of based on a previous game, which I played the first time around when I was a teenager. So there's a bit of the history of Games Workshop here, a little bit of a current situation of Games Workshop or Warhammer. And also, we will be going on to the genuinely intriguing topic of tactics and strategy, the misunderstanding. This is something that's pivotal if you do any kind of military history or read up on it. This absolutely goes there. Let's start off with Star Wars and Kenner. So this might sound a little bit odd, but bear with me. In the year 1977, if you were having boys' toys, the most popular one, if you're in America, it would be called G.I. Joe. If you were in Europe, it would be called Action Man. And they were never meant to be called dolls, but they were dolls. And just like Barbie, they were exactly the same size. So the Barbie and Action Man or G.I. Joe could go on a date together. This happened to me for real. My action men were underneath my bed, deep behind enemy lines, about to attack a base, and then I had to go for a wee, and then I came back and discovered my action men had gone. Maybe their camouflage was too good. But I assumed that they might have been pilfered by my little sister, and indeed, I walked into the other room and discovered that we had action man sitting there with Barbie and Cindy having lovely cups of tea. It's like these are dangerous men. They're on a mission. They could be triggered at any point to cause a massacre. You just have to give me the action men back again. Thank you very much. I'm a bit far away here from Games Workshop, but scale is really important. If Kenner, who'd got the options to do Star Wars toys, 
decided to make the Star Wars characters the same size as Action Man and G.I. Joe. Well, the problem was, is then if you were to buy an X-Wing or a Millennium Falcon, it would take up the whole of the living room. It would be gigantic to factor in the size. So instead, they decide to scale it down to about three inches, and therefore all of the accessories and vehicles were still large, but they weren't unwieldy large, apart from when G.I. Joe got redone into the same scale as Star Wars figures, and then they released, I'm not making this out, in the 1980s, an aircraft carrier, which even at that scale was gigantic, and I don't know who anybody had that. If you were one of those lucky people, let me know. How on earth did you convince your parents to have that? Where did you keep it? Did it just take up the whole of your bedroom? Did you sleep on it? Did you use it as a bed? I don't know. So, that's the thing about scale there. Let's fast forward to the wonderful world of Games Workshop, launched in the 1970s, really got into its stride in the 1980s, began rather than doing miniatures for existing IPs like Lord of the Rings or Dungeons and Dragons, decided to go its own way with this new brand called Warhammer. And we get the Warhammer Fantasy Battle a few years before we get Warhammer 40,000. But they decided to do about 28 millimeter size figures. There has been size creep over the years. It is really interesting looking at the very original Space Marines from 1987 with what an average Space Marine, admittedly Primaris is today, they're bigger. Even giants, humans, etc., everything's got slightly bigger. But the thing is, though, that if you're trying to pull together an army, then it is Warhammer Fantasy Battle, so battle's going to have lots of troops on both sides, and in Warhammer 40,000, if you're going to release things like an armoured personnel carrier called a Rhino, or something like a Land Raider, which is a heavily armed and armoured version of the, the Rhino, did different, completely different chassis and things like that, but it's quite big. And if you have... I'm going to just throw numbers out here. If you're going to have 40 Space Marines with a Dreadnought and a Land Raider and a Rhino, you're now taking up a sizable chunk of the table. But even that isn't really getting across what the books were telling you, the titanic battles and clashes and all that kind of good stuff. And so whereas that's absolutely been the standard size of these things... In the very late 1980s into the 1990s, we get a rescaling of Warhammer 40,000 with something called Epic. And Epic came with several different flavors. I always remember you get five Space Marines on a little square base, and each Space Marine had to be slotted into the base. And that one base of five Space Marines was smaller than the base of just a regular-sized Space Marine. So these things were teeny tiny, to use a technical expression there for you. And also, there were vehicles, some of the vehicles you recognised, like scaled-down land raiders and scaled-down rhinos. But also, you had things like titans. This was the first time that titans were introduced. Adeptus Titanicus was brought out before Epic, but then the two were combined into an overall battle scene. So you have a titan that... If you were to put it next to your average Warhammer, it was about the same size as a Dreadnought. But the idea was, when you scale it up, this thing is meant to be 40-50 feet high. It's a gigantic, stompy robot, which obviously 
Games Workshop wouldn't have the wherewithal or facilities to make that in the 1990s at the Warhammer 40,000 scale. But yes, eventually they did out of resin from their sister company, Forge World, and that is the most expensive miniature that you can buy. A Warlord Titan out of resin It's going to cost you, with all the accessories, about £2,300. And it's several feet tall. It's big. It's properly big. But also, trying to keep all that resin together, you really need to know what you're doing with that. It's way beyond me in terms of both budget and skills as a sculptor and modeler. So, no, I'm never going to touch that. And also, how could anybody look their partner in the eye and go, I've spent £2,300 on a chunk of resin. It's ridiculous. It's, it's way overpriced. I'm sure there are lots of hooky 3D print versions of it out there, and, and it's so expensive, I don't really have a problem with that. It's not gobbling up the market. Each one comes with a specific certificate of authenticity. I wasn't going to say this, but true story. They come in different sizes. Warlord Titan is the biggest one. The smallest one, I love this, is the Scout Titan, called a Warhound Titan. It has a dog's head on it, and it's got two arms. All of these are bipedal robots. It's got two arms with huge guns attached to them. It's still bigger than the biggest battle tank that you can buy in the regular range, and yet it's called a Scout Titan. Yeah, it's not scouting anything. People spot it from a mile off. Literally, it's going to stand above the trees and buildings. It can't hide behind anything. So anyway, the Warhound Titan, it is annoying that they got similar names, but the Warhound Titan, I saw one on eBay. So I put in an offer, and I won. It was substantially less than the cost of a brand new Warhound Titan. It had already been built. It had already been painted. It was mounted on its own stand. It was an incredible deal. I took it to my local games workshop once. We had a really fun evening of like, can we kill the Titan? And what can we bring to kill the Titan? It was it was fun. It was a really fun evening. I've always fond memories of that particular evening, but I never used it again. It was just sitting there gathering dust. It's like, I spent quite a lot of money for this. And I, I remember when I won, it's sort of like, oh dear, how do I explain this to my wife? And it wasn't, it was more like, 250 pounds so it was 90 percent less than what a warlord was but it was just it, it was just gathering dust so in the end i put it up on ebay again and interestingly i sold it for more than i bought it for so i actually turned a little bit of a profit on it so well done everybody in, involved in that one but it did come with that certificate of authenticity and i had great fun packing it up and sending it to the next guy so anyway that's it about scale Epic comes out, and me and my friends absolutely fall in love with Epic. We had this little saying, it's like, it's not a massive battle, it's a mahusive battle. We just sort of came up with new words for just the scale. We just got everything. We took over my parents' best room. We had a living room in the old house, and they also had this sort of front room that was only there for guests. But because it was almost never used, we were able to take over this room for like three days, and the entire floor was just covered in hundreds of of little teeny tiny space marines, big stompy titans, loads of tanks, and because it was set in the Warhammer 40,000, there were also the other race as well, the space elves, the orcs, and we had a bit of everything on the battlefield, and it was just great fun. Like I said, it took us three days to actually work through the battle, and everybody had so much fun playing that game. 
but then, as I said, I got out of the hobby and I then went off and lived my own life and blah, 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 blah. And it was no surprise to me that when I came back six or seven years ago, I came back into the hobby and there was no epic that made complete sense to me. It was a spin-off, you know, the company at some point rationalized its games. Yeah, okay, fine. And I got back in and blah, 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 blah. I even managed to dig out a little bit of my epic and I managed to put it in. There was one figure which had like a, a model of a 3D map that they were staring at, a bit of strategy there. And I cut out one of my old epic size space marines and put it on the map to give it a different scale and as a little in-joke because nobody else was really going to be making those sorts of conversions in 2019 or something like that so anyway so i was aware of epic and blah 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 but then i also knew that when i came back into the game shortly after adeptus titanicus came out and I think it was called that. I think, or was, was it just called Titanicus? It doesn't matter, but those different scaled, smaller scale Titans came out again. I wasn't interested in it. I was busy getting back into the hobby, blah, blah, blah. But then Imperia Aeronautica, something like that. These all have really hard to pronounce names for deliberate reasons because they're easier to copyright. Hence why you get Legions Imperialis rather than just Imperial Legions or Epic. Diptus Titanicus comes out again. Then we get a flying version with all the different races flying planes. It's sort of like, okay, maybe Epic's going to happen. And there's lots of rumors in the industry. It's like, well, they seem to be setting up. Maybe Epic's going to be coming back, blah, blah, blah. And then in 2023, early, they say, hey, Epic's coming back. It's called Legions Imperialis. It's actually at a slightly different scale. It is slightly bigger. And we're going to come into the nuts and bolts of it in a moment, but immediately everybody goes, oh yeah, we're going to get into this. And I decided, well, I'm really enjoying the 28mm scale. I had so much fun with the epic stuff. I'm going to be all in on it. And over the summer, when it seemed to be about to happen, but then it faded away again, clearly there was a production issue with the big boxes, the starter boxes of Legion Imperialis, because Games Workshop, what I find annoying is they're very good at creating this sense of excitement over new releases. But if anything gets delayed, they don't tell you. They just sort of pretend it was always the plan. And so while they are much, much better, apparently just before I started back in the hobby, they were very bad at communicating with the community. They are much better now, but they still are a little bit sensitive to ever admit that they've made a mistake. Wasn't me. This has happened with Curse City. Wasn't me. A box set that came out in 2020, and the idea was that you will always be able to play Curse City, and then it pretty much immediately sold out, and then they turned around and said, well, it was just a limited run. Wasn't me. And then eventually they did manage to get it out again in 2022, but by then everybody had a sour taste in their mouth from the initial cover-up. We have no idea why. Obviously, it well outstripped the sales that they thought it was going to be, but at the same time... Just admit it and say, look, in six months' time, we'll have it all out again. You can wait. But the problem with creating this FOMO, this fear of missing out, is you want it now. Don't care how I want it now. And you get these runs on things. And so Games Workshop, and again, from the point of view of a company, I understand you always want to create new releases. But they are creating new releases very frequently now who has got the money to buy everything nobody can afford to have everything in this industry and certainly nobody can afford or have the time to read every single new book coming out from black library but the idea is you're not meant to 
you're meant to just read the Warhammer 40,000 stuff, if that's your thing, or the Age of Sigmar stuff, or the Blood Bowl stuff. You buy the stuff appropriate. But I figured that with the new Epic, it would be a big enough range that I'm going to have to spend some money and time building and collecting it, but at the same time, it won't ever get to the same sprawling mass that is the whole Warhammer 40,000 collection. And when I mean whole, I mean everything. Every single army, every single troop type, who's got the money and time to build, paint, and buy, all of that stuff. I'm super excited about Epic. Over the summer, I start buying some boxes of the Titans, including a Warmaster Titan, which was a brand new thing, which there is no resin version of it. There is no big version of it. It's even bigger than a Warlord Titan. That was so much fun to build and paint. And the detail on it was just amazing. Some of them were a little less fun. The Reaver Titans, I don't know who decided to design the lower legs, particularly of the Reaver Titan. They're almost impossible to get to fit together. Thanks, guys. That's just annoying. And then finally, I managed to get my hands on some Legion Imperialis. However, I've seen online, there's a number of people saying wanted to buy it. It was sold out by the time I had the option to get it. And I understand from Games Workshop, clearly they delayed thinking, oh, maybe this will be more popular than we suspected. And it was even more popular than the popular expectations. That's a problem. And then you get scalpers going onto eBay where the box set, which is about £120, and you get lots of stuff in it, but they're now flipping it for like £200, £300. The problem is that if this stuff is valuable and people don't want to miss out, people might be tempted to buy it from the scalpers. And the scalpers, therefore, know that they can start buying the stuff. And, and so it becomes a vicious cycle. Now, Games Workshop was very clever with their new release of the of Warhammer 40,000 core rules and, and the box set that went round it, Leviathan. That came out in 2023. When a big release comes out, this is the new edition of the rules. They created so many of those boxes that everybody could get one. But the thing is, maybe they produced too many of them. I am well aware that Space Hulk 3rd edition is a famous one internally in Games Workshop that everybody expected it to sell like hotcakes. So they really printed loads of boxes so as not to disappoint people. But most people were still playing Edition 1, Edition 2. Some people did pick up Edition 3, but it wasn't nearly the hot seller that they thought it would be. And therefore they were just left with, I'm presuming, thousands of boxes, which was a complete waste of space in the warehouse and also a waste of energy and money making those in the first place. This is a problem that all companies have. How many of these things do you want to make? The more you make, the cheaper each individual unit is to make. There is an economy of scale. You can order in stuff in bulk and therefore make savings and therefore you make more profit. But of course you have to sell them if they are arriving in bulk. So you want to make enough that all your customers are happy, but you don't want to make so many that you end up losing your profits in terms of recycling or or just getting rid of some of these products. And I have to be honest, Games Workshop has been better at the marketing than they have been at supplying the customers. There is this constant, as I understand it, 2023 also saw a new warehouse, more automation. You know, they're investing in logistics. This makes sense. But it has meant that constant teething problems, constant disappointments about, oh yeah, there's there's this thing, there's that thing. And I've said a few times, this is a hobby. This is just meant to be fun. And if it becomes the stress about, oh, can I get the new thing? Well, that's losing the point of the hobby. So if for some reason Warhammer or Games Workshop ever hear this, I'm sure they're aware of it. But I'm going to say one of the fixes is to slow down releases. Now, I know that's going to lead to you generating fewer profits, 
but there is a disconnect between what you're trying to get people interested in and what you can actually deliver. And that over a long period of time, that's going to lead to discontent. You're dealing with somebody who spends a lot of money with you, who is currently thinking about, do I have to? Should I bother? I feel fortunate that I've got all my Legion's Imperialist stuff, but it is also worth pointing out, I had to go to the shop to put in the order, and other people weren't able to do that, and they got disappointed. And I also then have to wait an unreasonable amount of time. Everybody else got theirs through shipping about five days before me. I had to wait longer to get it from a Games Workshop shop because it took longer for you guys to get it to your own shop, your own retail outlet. So, needs work there, guys. Legions Imperialis, therefore, is the name of this whole new type of way to do Warhammer. But it isn't in Warhammer 40,000. It's in Warhammer the Horus Heresy. This is 10,000 years before the current game, which is an epic civil war where the first forms of chaos, these dark gods are corrupting some of the space marine legions, and there ends up being a titanic civil war with the chaos legions led by Horus, who is one of the primarchs, sort of son of the emperor of mankind, and the legions of still loyal are indeed run by the Emperor, although he doesn't turn up nearly as often as he should do. People turn around and say, well, he was busy doing this and he was busy doing that. It's not history. They could have written it. I would love a book where the Emperor, who we keep hearing about how powerful he is, actually goes into battle, leading a bunch of loyal space marines, just tearing everything to pieces. But for some reason, they decided to write it where he's almost always never in combat until right at the very end when he has a fight with Horus. And that story, just that story alone of the fight between him and Horus, the very final bit of the Siege of Terror, was chopped up into three books. It's a trilogy of one piece of information. Way too many Black Library books on this. So because it's Horus Heresy, they're allowed to have lots of cool stuff that you can only buy in Forge World in Retin now in little plastic tanks. That's kind of cool, but it does mean, because the Horus Heresy is specifically a civil war, it's all humans. There are no orcs. There are no elder... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And there are no Tau because the Tau didn't even exist then. Or Necrons. And this is a shame because a lot of people say, oh, there was this brilliant Eldar epic scale knight, which was... Not bipedal, but it was a centaur, and it looked amazing. And I would love to see that. And and also, I really hope that this is a big hit. I hope loads of people go out there and buy it, because if they continue to buy it, then there's no harm in just having supplementary books saying, okay, you can now play the same stuff in the 40,000s, and you can now have Eldar, Orcs, Necrons, Tau, etc., Tyranids as well. So... Why not? But it's at the beginning yet. We are very fresh into this in terms of the releases. But what I do find interesting is why it says Legions Imperialis specifically slapped on the front of the box. I'm looking currently at a box of a Solar Auxilia Baneblade Squadron. Baneblades are things that you can also play in Warhammer 40,000. They're the largest tank you can get in Warhammer 40,000. And you get two of them, two little ones, in this. But it's interesting, in the corner it says Epic Scale. So they're still referring to the old way of doing it. However, the first stuff that I built was a box, because I was still waiting for my box of this stuff and the main box to arrive. And excluding the Titans, the first vehicles that I bought or managed to buy was a huge pack of rhinos. Ten rhinos, ten armoured personnel carriers, which nobody likes having in the real game. They have almost no firepower and they're just there to move your troops quickly to perhaps a command point or something like that. But when you've got a different scale, rhinos are going to be quite useful. And putting them together was pretty easy. However, going back to Epic, they were in one piece. Clip. Done. It is now off the sprue and it's ready to play with, although you might want to paint it. Whereas this thing came in... Hang on, I'm just working out. One, two, three, four, five, six... 7, 8, 9, 10. Every single Rhino was in 10 bits. And I'm going to say, I don't mind having a top, bottom, side, side. That makes sense. And maybe the turrets for different types of turrets, okay. But what evil person decided to design the sides of it with the exhaust? Because they come with four exhausts, two at the front, two at the back, on each side, on each corner, basically. There is no reason. These are tiny pieces of plastic. There is no way the moulds were incapable of having the moulded exhaust ports on the Rhino. And that was 40 exhausts I had to glue onto the Rhinos. Come on, guys. Most of the troops, even the Space Marines, they're all in one bit, as they should be. But there are bits where it's like, hey, look at all the different variations. These are tiny things on the table. If you want to turn around and say, I may have built the Dreadnought with a claw, but actually it's got Storm Bolters, nobody's going to complain about that at this scale. So it's a little, I'm going to say it's a little bit pleased with itself with the level of detail. The detail is better than what it was back in the 90s. But at the same time, at this scale, do you need to have people's faces, for example? Nobody 
apart from Golden Demon, which are like the Oscars of painting. Nobody but Golden Demon winners are going to be able to do anything other than just contrast paint that, because that's it. Done. There we go. But where we're moving into the history is because it's now at a different scale, and using that example of my parents' front room, is you could just now start doing these sweeping maneuvers that you read about in various military history books. And on that point, I'm going to say that military history has a bad rep. It's only read by dads, apparently. It's like, well, there's a guy in my 20s reading about military history, actually. Oh, it's only read by guys. Okay, fair enough. And battles aren't as important to world history as social changes, changes in agriculture as well, things like the Industrial Revolution, the increase of liberal democracy. And I agree with those things. They're just really boring to read about. You know, there is something inherently exciting about the life and death situation of being in a battle. This is the thing that was raised pretty well in the Napoleon movie by Ridley Scott. Napoleon was a great general, but what is a general? All he did was fight and kill people. By the end, as it said at the end of the Napoleon movie, three million people were dead. Those are three million people who would have been living happy lives had it not been for the fact that Napoleon was trying to exert his presence on various different countries who were naturally resisting him. There's a bigger thing to be talked about here. And indeed, when we have images of battles, it could be a campaign by Alexander the Great. It could be something from World War II. But you get these pictures of the Third Corps as a rectangle painted blue, smashing into the Fifth Highland Regiment, which is painted in red, as another little rectangle or something like that. I'm making up names here, but this is the sort of thing when you get in any book to explain a battle or to explain a campaign. These people were a blob of troops, which interestingly in the modern world just doesn't really happen anymore because of the rise and rise of drones and satellites. Trying to put an entire regiment together and have them all sitting around, you're just going to have long-range artillery or cruise missiles blasting your troops to pieces before they ever get close to the front. So, weirdly, modern wars, and I'm not talking about insurgencies, that's different, but just modern wars are now actually surprisingly small combat units spread out, so they are harder targets, less targets of opportunities. But these big, huge clashes, be it the US Civil War, the Russian war against Poland or whatever, you know, there's just endless amounts of wars. They are invariably shown as these rather rigid blocks that have sweeping arrows to explain their general movement. But it creates this lie that these were men in rows, that they were perfectly led, and things are messier than that. Even in time of something like Napoleon, where people had to stand in rows firing away their muskets at the enemy, even then there were stragglers lines weren't perfectly straight, things weren't a perfect rectangle, and we get this misreading of like it being a game of chess. But it isn't. Trying to get orders to the right area, the famous charge of the Light Brigade was down to the fact that the generals at the top of the hill could see that there were several different areas that the Russians were based at, and by the time the written orders had gone down to the Light Brigade, They could only see one valley. They didn't know that they were meant to charge down a different valley. There was a different 
target actually for the Light Brigade. And so they charge into the Valley of the Death, as Tennyson is going to tell you in the poem. Half a league, half a league forward, all in the Valley of Death Road, the 600. And they actually end up doing fairly well. But the point is, it's miscommunication. It's the fog of war, which is a phrase that's used a lot and doesn't have anything to do with gunpowder. Exactly where the enemy are. The enemy could be hiding. The enemy could be shielded by forest or by brows of hills or valleys or something like that. A group of troops could pop out and you chase them and then you're led into a trap. There could be hidden pits in front of your troops to protect you from cavalry charges. All this kind of stuff doesn't really get put on the maps. Instead, it's like the clump of men over there and this group of men moved over there and engaged them. It's like that is not the chaos of battle. As the saying goes, any military plan falters at the first contact with the enemy. It's really about who makes the fewest mistakes rather than who has the grand strategy. Now, overall, you hear about things like pincer movements. That means that you, in essence, attack the sides of the army and start surrounding it. Once an army is surrounded in any era of history, it's just trying to defend itself from too many positions. It's going to get crushed. At that point, it has to either surrender or run away before the trap is closed, or it's going to be annihilated. And men don't want to fight to the last man. This is what people tend to think. And it's interesting, even in Warhammer, with these super brave space marines and these aliens that have no concept of fear, even they have this concept of leadership roles at the end of the round, where if you sustain loads of casualties, you might start backing off, or you might lose some extra troops as they run away from the battlefield. Which makes no actual sense if we're talking about Necrons, or Tyranids, or indeed Space Marines, I would argue, but that's a rule which is pretty realistic. Therefore, we have the grand strategy, and this is what generals are for, this is what Napoleon was good at. When are we going to attack? Where are we going to attack? What's the point of trying to capture this city? Is it to bring the enemy to the negotiating table? Is it a strategic place that we can cut off the logistics of the enemy? What is the end goal point of this? And sometimes you do have these grand generals turning around and saying, we are going to have to sacrifice some troops to lure people away from the place we actually want to capture we're going to get them to attack this other area here which has no strategic value but it just starts pouring resource away from the place weakening the place we really want to attack that's way over there and so that's a valid thing to do but it does mean as a general you have to be quite cold-hearted in your in your planning if you're going to storm an enemy fortification you are going to have heavy casualties in britain in the british army in particularly the 19th century there was the position of the forlorn hope. If a breach in enemy positions was made, people knew that it was 95% casualty rate on that first wave getting in, and it was known as the forlorn hope. So if anybody did survive, you automatically got a promotion. So for anybody ambitious, anybody potentially brave or foolhardy, that was the position to go for. And if you do survive, you're guaranteed to be mentioned in dispatches, perhaps get a medal, but more importantly, get that promotion, which means more money, perhaps a better life in the army for you. So that's how the British encouraged men to dive into that. But decisions had to be made. Planning had to be done. All generals would like to keep their men alive, 
but every general knows that it's about how many men die. And maybe the death of that hundred men saves a thousand men later because peace is concluded quicker. That's the grim mathematics that any kind of general or war leader has to make. So what is the difference between strategy and tactics? So I said the strategy is where are we going? What are we doing? Those sorts of things. We need to capture the city of Leipzig. That's a genuine battle in 1814 when Napoleon was holding off in Leipzig. It's called the Battle of the Nations because so many different nations fought it and it was one of the largest battles in world history up until the 20th century. That's how big and important it was. About half a million men in total at this battle. Ridiculous. So if we're going to capture Leipzig, why? Because we need to force Napoleon out of the area. But what are tactics there for? Tactics are how you're going to do it. Tactics are small units. So going back to Warhammer, you can argue that Warhammer 40,000 or Warhammer Age of Sigmar because you probably have 20, 30 troops in your army. That's actually a platoon in modern military terms. That is tactical. I'm tactically going to get the higher ground, which means I'm going to have an advantage over your troops. But strategy is played at something like the Legions Imperialis level, where you can have whole campaigns, and it's like, this is where we're going and what we're doing and why. But tactics are very much what things like the sergeants and lieutenants are worried about. It's the men on the front lines working out better ways to get this grim job of soldiering done. And therefore, there are many examples of this in history where you have low-level officers who are good at a tactical level, are promoted up and up past the point of competence, and then they become terrible generals. Because they're so worried about their troops, they end up being overly cautious or blunder in and end up leading to more deaths than they ever wanted, and then they start second-guessing themselves. They're very good of understanding on how to capture a house with the minimum casualties of their small band of soldiers, but they're terrible at working out how to capture the entire city. That's the difference between tactics and strategy, and these two things are confused all the time. Now, what's interesting is in modern Western armies, with this core of NCOs, non-commissioned officers, we're talking about the, the, the sergeants out there. They are experienced troops who therefore can help the younger, less experienced troops understand the best tactics to get the job done. Sergeants aren't going to do anything until they get more superior orders, but they know how to get the job done. But what's interesting is in armies like in China and in Russia and Saudi Arabia, generally areas where their people are worried about sharing power, you have the generals and you do have layers of officers, but everybody's telling everybody else what to do. And the generals don't know the tactics and the young troops never get time to learn the tactics and they never have a on-hand local officer, the equivalent of a sergeant, to tell them what to do and to show them the leadership that they need as they're carrying out the attack. This has led to dozens of senior generals in Ukraine being killed by the Ukrainians because the Russian generals are sending out these orders. The troops are doing a terrible job of following these orders, so they're having to go down to the front lines to explain it to them. Whereas in a Western-style force, including the Ukrainian army, they don't have to do that. They've got the guys on the grounds who know how to interpret it. Taking, for example, 
somebody like Napoleon, and this kind of breaks the rule because he absolutely did want total power, but he had his marshals and he absolutely trusted his marshals to get the job done. Didn't always work, but he knew that he could delegate and the marshals in turn had a group of effective officers underneath it, particularly when they were fighting Austria and Prussia. They were just better soldiers and better at soldiering than those two powers and also Russia as well. So it, it, it is interesting. The understanding of tactics and strategy are vital in understanding why certain campaigns failed and succeeded. Other factors are available. There could be blind luck. There could be weather. There can be logistics. As I've said before in a previous podcast, logistics are the key reason why things fail or succeed. But it's called Warhammer. There's not going to be a lot of logistics involved in it. Although trying to get supplies of ammunition and equipment across an entire galaxy would be i guess an interesting game for somebody to work out certainly be a complicated game and would explain why the imperium of man has such a tough time against some of these closer enemies and it is interesting that the tyranids are all about resource but that just leads to them killing things on the battlefield i digress i'm going to say that if you if you like these sort of grand strategy games, but want something that isn't slavishly following the US Civil War or something like that, you might want to give Legions Imperialis a go. It's a really well put together game where you're looking at things at a different scale, and it's so easy to, to paint the stuff. Last thing I'm going to say with the Rhinos, and I picked this up from somebody online, I can't remember who it is. My Rhinos have a total of five colours and one other thing on them. So just for the main chassis, I paint them a base colour, then I use a, a wash which gives them a sense of shading, and then a bit of a highlight to make them look a bit weathered. And that works fine. The other two colours are the ways that you got to colour the tracks and the guns a bit different to the, the main chassis, as would happen in if you just look at any tank. And the other thing you add is just because these are so tiny, teeny tiny i can hold 10 rhinos 10 armored personnel carriers in the palm of my hand which is kind of fun a bit stacked up but i then get a pencil and i rub the pencil on some of the edges and because the graphite is a bit shiny it looks like the metal is shining through on the rhinos i don't know why i bother because it, it this is a very tiny detail which you're never going to spot when you're standing up at the table looking down on them but i know they've got a bit of weathered damage courtesy of a pencil so that's it from me. Hope you enjoyed this one. There is, or hopefully you would agree there's some stuff in there that isn't just Warhammer, and I've told you a little bit more about my past too. As always, look, click subscribe. Please give us a review. Thank you very much for that. And as always, another episode coming soon. 